HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tuk Tuk Box. Sharing Southeast Asian stories at your doorstep. Learn more at tuktukbox.com. That's T-U-K-T-U-K-Box.com. This episode is brought to you by The Well-Traveled Palette, where your personal chef, Natasha Ho, teaches you to cook gourmet meals with global flavors. Learn more at heynatashaboo.com. So when I was in the hospital, you sent me that big box of pastries from a very fancy French uh, bakery in Los Angeles. And I was, and it was like a real big box with kind of a sampler of everything. Basically, as soon as I started eating it, the nutritionist at the hospital, who really checks on me very rarely, kind of walks in and is like, oh, like, are you finishing up your breakfast? Um, while I'm just like devouring like a croissant, uh, like a chocolate croissant, like this giant loaf of bread with strawberry preserves. When someone you love is sick with a cold, COVID, or even cancer, sending food is often the first way we show our love and support. Hot soup, warm cookies, maybe fancy French pastries. So many of us cling to food as a source of comfort during difficult times. It can offer satisfaction and heartiness when a hug is not possible. It definitely did for my friend, Eric Paretsky, who you just heard from. Eric was diagnosed with cancer a few months ago, and talking to him... I notice that food has played a big role during his treatment. It's become a marker of his sickness and wellness, of what's changed and what still feels normal. Today, I'm bringing you that story. Food can serve a much-needed role in maintaining quality of life, but chemotherapy introduces serious food safety hazards and requires dietary restrictions because of its impact on the immune system. It can also cause nausea and a loss of appetite. Eric is an avid home cook. He'll bring us with him down the winding path he has traveled in an effort to keep food a joyful part of his life. I'm Dylan Hoyer, a communications associate and audio producer for Heritage Radio Network. 
And this is Meet and Three. Meet and Three. Meet and Three. Meet and Three. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meet and Three. So Eric just texted me. He got his his backup recording going and he said he's going to join the link now. And he wrote, P.S. Never done an interview. Ha ha. But he, he'll be fine. Hi. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? It's Eric good, and I good. met when we were 18 and I arrived in my freshman dorm. <laughs> I was greeted by my homemates-to-be who included a cohort of boys I thought were very nerdy looking and who quickly became my best friends. Over the course of many late nights spent studying, listening to music, drinking cheap boxed wine, and eating many, many snacks, I got to know the kind and gentle person that Eric is. We stayed friends beyond freshman year. He could often be found around campus making music or coding for his computer science classes. He was always easy to spot because of his amazing collection of very colorful psychedelic shirts. Eric also loves to cook. As an underclassman, he experimented with an impressive range of dorm room recipes that included making our friends egg sandwiches in a rice cooker. By senior year, his house had a full kitchen, and making dinner there often included using specialty ingredients he had traveled off campus to find. Today, we're both 25. I live in New York, and Eric lives in Los Angeles. It's like 80s today, um, and it should be like 80s the rest of the week. One other thing I should tell you about Eric is he is just a bit monotone. His voice doesn't exactly convey excitement, even as he describes beautiful weather. Many people he met during college just assumed he was stoned all the time, and sometimes he may have been, but this is just his voice. The pandemic, with all its increased screen time, has made it easy for Eric and me to keep in touch, despite living on opposite coasts. I don't know, I think it's so funny that during the pandemic, I mean, I started making bread along with the trend and was like texting you like, what's wrong with my starter? What's, why isn't it rising? Why is my bread so flat? But then I also realized I wasn't the only one who was like texting you for help with bread as it became really trendy. Like how many people were texting you for help with bread when making sourdough became cool? Yeah, I was definitely getting a lot of texts from people People who were like, do I make starter? Do I buy starter? Like, can I use commercial yeast? All those questions. There's definitely, definitely at least five to 10 people who were hitting me up. As I said, Eric is a very good cook. He was making sourdough and pizza crust years before COVID made it cool. One of the things I bought in the pandemic was like a pizza steel. So made a lot of pizzas. Um, made a lot of like margaritas, some more fancier like prosciutto, white truffle pizzas. But this past fall, Eric noticed he was having trouble eating. In November of 2020, I started getting sick. 
And initially I thought it was like COVID. And after, you know, getting COVID negative tests back and forth, no one could really figure out what was happening. He had a terrible cough that wouldn't go away. On virtual game nights with our friends, Eric began playing on mute because he couldn't speak without coughing. Because I basically like couldn't really hold down much food and ended up losing like 20 pounds in the course of like a pretty short period of time. After several long weeks, he went to the ER and that is when he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, It's a type of leukemia known as uh, ALL and uh, it stands for acute lymphoblastic leukemia, uh, which is a blood cancer. That was the end of February. It's definitely a shock to the system. It's like, well, how much time do I have? Um, you know, like, what's the what's the rates? Is there a cure for this? Um, all those kinds of things. And you're kind of in this fog of information, um, you know, obsessively Googling every article you can find. Thankfully, Eric is in the middle of treatment now and is expected to make a full recovery to his normal life. But during this six-month period, in which he's undergoing chemotherapy, a lot about his life has had to change. Eric has become well-versed in the technicalities of treatment, taking on a whole new vocabulary in what he calls the cancer cancer ecosystem. ecosystem, One window into his world that we can all understand is food. So you want to typically avoid anything that might give you um, foodborne illness. So that's things like raw seafood, um, sushi, undercooked meats like steak, like you can't have medium rare steaks or anything like that. Um, Different like cheeses or cured things. So soft cheeses like brie. Eric explained to me that your immune system becomes so compromised during chemotherapy that ingesting otherwise mundane bacteria from raw, undercooked, or unpasteurized food could throw off your entire recovery. He was made aware of all these rules soon after his diagnosis. His treatment began with a long stay in the hospital where culinary precautions were taken seriously, but flavor and texture weren't as much of a concern. Since all the food is for cancer patients, typically everything is like really, really overcooked to the point of like almost stone hard, um, really unpleasant to eat. Knowing Eric's love of good food... Friends and family members made sure he had some other options. People were sending me all these pastries, and I ended up having, like, so many pastries that I would just, like, give them out to the nurses because I was just, like, fully stacked like a local bakery. My, my mom um, and my dad, their kind of classic comfort dish when I'm home um, is, like, just a roast chicken and potatoes, and so they brought me that a few times. They make it in a very specific way, frying the potatoes with like a lot of onion and garlic and stuff. So it's quite good. 
After a few weeks in the hospital, Eric returned home, and taking control of what he ate was top of mind. With so many restrictions to what he could cook, Eric's inner chef had to get creative. That's coming after the break. This episode is brought to you by Tuk Tuk Box, a Southeast Asian woman-founded company with a mission to share Southeast Asian culture and experiences through food. They offer curated subscription boxes and products, partnering with vetted small business owners and local farmers from Southeast Asian communities. Their signature Southeast snack box is available in three funky levels, perfect for all palates. You can either purchase a one-time box or sign up for a monthly subscription. Tuk Tuk Box is sharing Southeast Asian stories at your doorstep. Get your first box at tuktukbox.com. That's T-U-K-T-U-K-Box.com. This episode is brought to you by The Well-Traveled Palette, where your personal chef, Natasha Ho, teaches you to cook gourmet meals with global flavors. Bring more variety, ease, and fun to your meals by boosting your confidence in the kitchen. Ready to get cooking? Text the word FLAVOR to 66866 to set up your complimentary first session. Sharpen your skills and bring new life to every meal by texting FLAVOR to 66866 to set up your complimentary first session with Natasha Ho of the well-traveled palette. Welcome back to Meet and Three. I feel like the one of the first things that like hit you was just like not being able to have runny eggs. Oh yeah, on that list of of food items that you can't eat is uh, unpasteurized eggs, um, unless it's fully cooked. So it's like over easy sunny side up eggs. All those are um, off limits. And for me, breakfast is my number one meal. Like I wake up and the meal I'm most excited for is breakfast. So, I mean, I had to give up sushi, which was a big one. But that I understood a bit more. The runny yolk was like, I need to find a workaround. A quick explainer for those of us who haven't been forced to become food safety experts. Pasteurization is the process of eliminating harmful microorganisms from food or drink through heat. Milk we buy at the grocery store has already been pasteurized, so it doesn't pose a risk to us when we pour it right out of the carton. Some meat always needs to be pasteurized like chicken. That's why people don't eat medium rare chicken. Then other foods like beef can just be seared and are safe for most people to eat. Eggs can be cooked but still runny, and you or I wouldn't have to worry about contracting salmonella. But Eric and other immunocompromised folks can't afford this level of risk. To educate himself on the ins and outs of this process, and to keep runny eggs a part of his diet, Eric jumped headfirst into some very specific um, internet rabbit holes. The first thing that I started finding out, um, which I don't think a lot of people realize, is that pasteurization 
is a function of both temperature and time. So when the FDA guidelines, when they say your chicken needs to be have an internal temperature of 165, what they're really saying is that if you cook a chicken to 165, it will take one second to pasteurize that entire chicken because of how hot it is. At this temperature, this piece of food gets pasteurized immediately. But with um, different cooking techniques like sous vide, you can pasteurize at lower temperatures over longer periods of time, which allows you to cook safely and have food that's not dry as a bone. Like Eric said, sous vide cooking is one way to do this. That's when you put your food in a sealed bag, clip that bag to the side of a pot filled with water, and set a sous vide cooker to bring that water and your food to a precise temperature. Time it correctly, and your food will be cooked the same way every time. Eric bought the equipment he needed and got to work. Basically, in supermarkets, they typically sell like pasteurized egg whites, but they never sell the whole pasteurized egg just because it's more labor intensive. And what you do is you basically cook them to 135 uh, for like an hour and 15 or so. And not only does that let you um, eat runny eggs, I mean, you can literally at that point crack it open and eat it raw uh, because it kills the salmonella or the risk of it. You can then use it for things like Caesar dressing, which often uses a raw egg. Uh, I haven't uh, made raw cookie dough, but funny story was my sister was making tiramisu for my birthday, and the recipe that she was using called for raw egg yolk, but she didn't have pasteurized eggs, so she brought it over to the pasteurizer. Start like a black market. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In addition to becoming more technical and more cautious, Eric's cooking had to increase in quantity. I was given uh, the steroid that is uh, very common for people undergoing leukemia. It's not like a sports steroid, as many people associate with steroids. And with this steroid, um, I, I don't understand the science behind it, but It makes you extremely hungry, and on top of that, it almost doesn't feel like you're eating after you finish a meal. So I was probably eating like five to six like full meals a day, a meal in between breakfast and lunch, a meal in between lunch and dinner, and then like a midnight snack slash meal. So I'd wake up and make like a big breakfast burrito with like, eggs, avocado, potatoes, cheese, um, and like hash browns. Then in the middle of the day, I'd make like some type of wrap or something with like a ton of hummus. I'd, I'd be snacking like all day too. So throw that in on top of these six meals. So like random chips, um, random like cookies that I would have. And also just my portion sizes were crazy. Like um, my girlfriend cooked me like a dinner once that was probably like two pounds of salmon or something and like 
like three whole russ of potatoes or something. And I, I, I could eat something like that. And then an hour later, I would be like ready for my next meal. Oh my God. I've been trying not to like interrupt the recording, but it's just so wild. Yeah, it's a lot of food. I think like the sumo wrestler diet is probably like the closest thing to what I had. If you look up like chanka nabe, like sumo stew, there's like a YouTube video on it. And like that to me would be like a normal portion sized. I just like want people who are listening to know that you're like a skinny dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just funny because you're just nowhere near like imagine a sumo wrestler and then just imagine like a really <laughs> skinny musician standing next to him, like eating the same amount of food. Like Eric said earlier, he lost 20 pounds when he first became sick in the fall and it was important that he start gaining that weight back. So I would be eating like like 3,000, 4,000 calorie days or something and not exercising that much because of the chemo and like somehow would like weigh myself and have gained like zero pounds. So I was like kind of alarmed. And then luckily, eventually I did start gaining weight um, and like got back to normal. But I would say the overall feeling was kind of just like shock that (laughs) my body was able to eat so much, but like not really have any like adverse effects or not gaining weight really. After about a month, Eric's calorie intake returned to normal. But recently, the uglier side effects of chemo have reared their head. Last time we spoke was about two weeks ago or so. Um, And since then, a lot has changed for me. I had really bad nausea from one of the chemo drugs that caused me a lot of nausea and vomiting and also kind of destroyed my taste buds a bit. Um, I was eating very little because I couldn't really hold any food down. Um, When I could eat, I was eating extremely simple and bland foods, anything with like too much flavor. Even something like tomato sauce was way too um, acidic or strong. I would eat like pasta with olive oil or like a piece of toast with butter. Although sourdough bread, which I had a lot of, was also too strong of a flavor, actually. It was the end of March when I first sat down with Eric to interview him for this story. He had been home from the hospital for a couple months, and being able to control what he ate was really important to his well-being. Now, food has become another uncertain variable in his life, and that's not easy. It was kind of demoralizing because I just didn't really have anything to provide me Uh, psychological relief, um, which I definitely turned to food too. Like when you have a really long day, a lot of times like a nice meal can definitely sort of cure some of the day-to-day stress. I couldn't cook either during that this time because I was pretty weak and I would, I would try to try to eat things that I had like zero prep work basically. 
one night I had like an Amy's margarita pizza and one night I had um, chicken nuggets that I bought at the store. We have all made dramatic changes to the way that we grocery shop, cook, and eat during the past year as a result of the pandemic. But just short of a year before the anniversary of COVID-19, Eric's reality was turned upside down again. The hardest part about chemo treatment, I'd say, is um, adapting to like your new normal. I'm someone who's used to enjoying my food and having it provide comfort. And especially during COVID, when, you know, you're not really going out and doing too much. Food is one of the main comforts you can kind of still partake in. I'll know Eric is feeling like himself again when he sends me a Snapchat of a giant homemade breakfast burrito. I assume the eggs will have been pasteurized and cooked in a soft scramble. I'm hoping within the next few days, um, if not sooner, I'll be back to enjoying food. Luckily, things are looking up as Eric had hoped. In the past couple weeks, I've texted many heart emojis his way and dug up old photos of our friends to send him along with funny captions, all to pass the time while I waited for a signal that he was feeling better. After a couple really hard weeks, we finally spent an evening playing Settlers of Catan, and it was great to see Eric cooking dinner while we yeah, chatted. Catan, Catan soon? <laughs> yeah, definitely some Catan soon. Peace though. Bye. Special thanks this week to Eric Peretsky for your generosity and openness in sharing this experience with us. This episode was produced by me, Dylan Hoyer. Meet and Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Kat Johnson, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and me, Dylan Hoyer. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet and Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch, whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey. Write to us at ideas at meetin3.nyc. That's all spelled out.